All right, our scripture today comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So this is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. So judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Amen. Thanks, Emily. Okay, so I wanted to start with a little story before we get back to that scripture verse. Um, I love stories, as you all know, and Bible stories included. So I don't remember teaching my seven-year-old this story about the creation of humankind from the book of Genesis. You know, um, from dust you were made, and to dust you shall return. So the other day, he uh, he was rubbing his arm, and and uh, it, it might have been the dry weather, or maybe he hadn't had enough water. But anyway, he's rubbing his arm, and he looks at me in amazement, and he says, "You are right. It's dust." <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny, and you know, from dust to dust. So let's begin. The sacred beauty of the scripture of our faith is that many interpretations can come from one verse. So a couple weeks ago, Rabbi Joshua Winston from Temple Beth Emmet um, shared uh, with us an example from the Talmud of the many different voices that were interpreting scripture. He taught us that the Talmud is a compilation of rabbinic teachings that began really as early as the uh, second century BCE. And, that, and he said that these dialogues might occur even between rabbis living in different centuries. And I thought that was really neat. So in recognizing and in celebrating our different interpretations, the Talmud says, it was taught in the school of Rabbi Ishmael, behold, my word is like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that shatters rock. Just as this hammer produces many sparks when it strikes the rock. So a single verse has several meanings. Many Christians interpret or read the Bible as um, speaking with a single voice. So instead of saying, um, you know, I think this portion of scripture says this or that, we might say, the Bible says so. And I've done that before. So there's, I, I think there's just this amazing idea, you know, that two different people might have two different voices and two different ideas about one verse. So the people who like to say, the Bible says this, so it must be this, regard the Bible as univocal, which means it speaks with one voice or that there's only one right interpretation. But Rabbi Josh and his tradition in general, Judaism, don't take that approach. He says he recognizes that, inter that scripture uh, interpretation includes many different voices and they might not always agree with each other. And I like that approach because I feel that it's honest. So it's really understandable that there are so many different Christian interpretations of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. But getting our interpretations just right might not be as important as how we treat one another. We need authentic connections with each other and with ourselves and with God. So it might be helpful to keep a certain kind of approach 
on matters of interpretation. Agree or disagree, but don't judge, don't boast, love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul seemed to love biblical interpretation. So he wrote the majority of the letters in the New Testament following the four gospels. And he called himself the apostle to the Gentiles, which means non-Jews. And through his outreach, many non-Jews were shifting away from their customs, their cultural norms, and their worship of created things to a newfound love for God. And so these people, as they were transitioning from one identity to a new identity, they were looking for guidance about how to forge their new identity. And as an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was trying to help guide them, but there were a group of rivals. So these influencers, these rivals, Paul felt they were leading his Gentile audience in the wrong direction. They made him so mad. But, who were these influencers that were such a threat to Paul and, and why did they make him so mad? So a little background, Christians have long thought that, um, that Paul was referring to Jews or Jewish Christians who um, included some Gentiles, but they wanted the Gentiles, Paul's Gentiles to fully convert to Judaism and observe the law. So since Gentile Christians have long believed that Paul rejected the law and Judaism in favor of this new religion which fulfilled the law a religion based on faith not works the idea that these influencers were promoting judaism it just made sense but after the holocaust and over the past half century there are a growing number of people who are reconsidering these anti-jewish interpretations so this includes bible scholars Jewish scholars who are studying the New Testament and the Catholic Church, which repented for its anti-Judaism in the Second Vatican Council. Here at Blue Ocean, actually today, we're gonna to be studying um, a Jewish Bible scholar of the New Testament in our Deeper Dive Theology group after church. And, um, and um, so we can dive into more discussion on this as well today. Okay, so, some people are reading Paul's New Testament letters as being written by an observant Jew who welcomed and fully included Gentiles as Gentiles while still honoring our differences. So it was really only later, maybe in like the fourth century, when this inclusion became an exclusion of Jews as Jews and of other non-Christians. Now, I think this interpretation matters. It matters not only for the Jewish people who have long been persecuted, dismissed, or forced to convert by Christians, but also for other Gentiles, um, for non-Christians who have been persecuted as outsiders, maybe for their religion, nationality, and or race and ethnicity. And I think it also matters for anyone who is connected to the church and is being judged as you know, not really Christian, which I feel like I hear a lot. So again, we're saying agree or disagree, but don't judge, don't boast, love your neighbor. If Paul was an observant Jew, welcoming in all Gentiles as Gentiles from every nation and walk of life, 
and he did not dismiss Torah or Judaism, then who are these rivals I mentioned earlier that made him so mad? Well, one interpretation to consider is that these influencers were um, claiming a certain identity. So they were claiming a name and then they were boasting in it and they were judging others for not being quite right. So they were claiming a name, boasting and judging. Now, according to our Urban Dictionary, which is a very reputable source, <laughs> they might have been what we would call today posers. So a poser is someone who pretends to be somebody they're not. Um, like to be a part of a culture or genre just to fit in. And synonyms can include um, hypocrite, imposter, mimic, or pretender. So it's to, to say you're one thing, but really to be another. And I have two examples, but I want to just note first that posing is not imitation. So imitation can actually be a good thing. Paul imitated Jesus, and um, we were, were called to imitate God, especially in some ways like God's mercy. Um, so posing might be more akin to like lying or stealing. And I, I like to say if, if imitation is the highest form of flattery or praise, then posing might be the worst form of envy. It leads to a profound disconnection to ourselves and to each other. So my first example is, I kind of want to make light of it and joke about it, but a lot of people that are joining on Zoom today are not from the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area. And um, if, you, um, if you grow up in the Ann Arbor area, you know that the University of Michigan here carries a lot of prestige. And it even has a couple big rivals. So when it comes to football, it's a big deal to be a Michigan fan and even better to be an authentic Michigan Wolverine. So I'm just kind of joking, but this it really does get pretty serious around here. There are the authentic Michigan Wolverines, however defined, and then there are those people who only call themselves Wolverines. When I met my partner, Matthew, at the University of Michigan alumni event, he had all the Michigan cred. So he started as a freshman in the dorms. He played the trombone in the Michigan marching band, and so did all his friends. So they thought it was pretty great that I was a Michigan alumni, alum, and I liked that. I felt like a true insider. I didn't want them to know my full story because I enjoyed being seen as an authentic Michigan Wolverine. But I can honestly say that I had a bit of angst about being a poser. See, I went to Hope College, which is a small liberal arts Christian college on the west side of the state. And I only transferred to U of M as a sophomore. And even worse, I don't know a lot about football. So one day we were watching this football game and we wore all our fan gear, maize and blue. And I met the wife of one of, Mich of Matthew's best friends. And she said she didn't go to Michigan. So I was like, well. <laughs> Um, no, I, she told me she started at, she went to Calvin College, which is a huge rival of Hope College, the school that I went to to start. So I had to tell her, oh, I started at Hope and her husband overheard us. And he was like, I thought you said you went to U of M. I was exposed. I'm kind of joking, but I, I really didn't feel comfortable about um, 
my transfer and I felt like I was kind of hiding who part of who I was. I definitely had no room to boast. So now that I'm older and more comfortable with who I am, I can share this story. Um, but the thing is, is that it, it, the problem was trying to be something that I'm not or hiding some part of myself. Um, but I certainly hope, especially after yesterday, that we can all agree that whether or not you grew up here, transferred to U of M, attended from the beginning or never at all, the true Michigan Wolverine comes from the heart. So I have another uh, example, and it's a bit more serious. Um, there's a white woman who claimed that she was Black American. She lived as a Black woman for many years, and she rose to prominence as chapter president for the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Um, when her mother outed her, uh, she drew ridicule from some, outrage from others, and tapped into very deep wounds in the black community. So how could she, who grew up in a white family as a white girl and in a culture that privileges whiteness, now claim that she knows she's black and, and all that that means to people today? So I don't think the problem was in her love of black culture or in rejecting her own whiteness but it was in pretending to be something that she's not. So the ridicule and painful outrage that she received speaks to how deeply posing can offend. Paul describes his rivals as breaking the very law that they claim to uphold. So he identifies them by using this ancient Greek word, aiudaizo, and it's translated as in our Bible as a Judaizer or a, a Judaizing. So it turns out that, that this word um, might be referring to what our urban dictionary calls posers. There's a professor of Hebrew literature and philosophy at Harvard, Shia Cohen, and he makes this fascinating point about the language. He says that in ancient Greek, these words that end in ising like Judaizing, um, describe someone who is acting like somebody they were not. So someone might say, she's not a Wolverine, she's a wannabe Wolverine. Does that make sense? So it's, it's like, it's not bad to be a Wolverine, but it's bad to be a wannabe Wolverine, to pose as a Wolverine or to be a Wolverine-izer. Okay, so in his book, Paul and the Gentile Problem, Matthew Theason writes about this term Judaizing. He says it's an issue of being like and not actually becoming. So this discrepancy between the exterior and the interior leads to the word's negative meaning. He concludes that Jews cannot Judaize, only non-Jews can. In other words, the offense that the Judaizers committed was not in their love of Jewish traditions or in rejecting their Greek customs. It was in pretending to be something that they were not. Not only were they claiming to be Jews, but they were excluding and judging other Gentiles who did not follow the scriptures in the same way. Paul says that by judging others and boasting in God, 
that they were breaking the very law, God's law, that they claimed to uphold. So this pain-filled language that Paul reserved for the, this Judaizing, it, it really speaks to how deeply this posing can offend. Some of us grew up hearing one interpretation of scripture, that all people must convert to our religion, Christianity, to be saved because the Bible says so. So it's really exciting for me to read Paul in a different way. As an observant Jew who is trying to help his Gentile audience better understand what it means for them to follow God's law. Paul taught something that other Jewish teachers um, were teaching at the same time and to this day, that to be a Jew is not determined by outward signs, but by the inward heart. Paul didn't want people to make false claims by posing, but he did want his listeners to imitate the heart. He was saying, don't pose, don't judge, don't boast, turn your hearts because God sees all and is merciful. So I'm coming to the end. We began with a reorientation towards scripture so we agree or disagree, but don't judge, don't boast, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the example that the early Jesus followers seem to have taken, and people were turning their hearts to God just as they were called. People of every kind and across every binary and in every nation were finding wellness, peace, healing, and love through the profound experiences of God's affirming love that they found in Jesus. So our reading from today that Emily read, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And that's my hope for today. So Magda said today is the Sunday of hope. And my hope is that each of us find within our secret hearts and our innermost being a true and authentic faith with ourselves, with each other, and with God. Because we are loved and because we belong, just as we are called. So that's it. Um, now we do usually do a meditation after the sermon, and it usually takes about three to five minutes. So today I thought would be fitting if we based our meditation on um, Brene Brown's research on choosing authenticity. So when we choose authenticity, um, we cultivate the courage to be imperfect, and mindfulness can help create a sense of balance so that we don't let our judgmental thoughts sway us from connecting authentically with ourselves and with each other. So um, go ahead and sit comfortably in your chair um, and take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Focus on the rhythms 
of your breath. So in, and out. Go ahead and breathe in, hold for three seconds. And out, release. When you notice thoughts arrive, and they do arrive because we're all human, notice the thought as if it were a fallen leaf floating along the river, passing you by. Notice the thought without judgment. It is what it is. Breathe. Gently turn your attention back to the flow of your breath, in and out. Notice how your chest lifts with each breath and returns with each exhale. As we breathe together, practice self-kindness. Develop the courage to be imperfect. Breathe. Cultivate compassion for yourself and others, knowing that we are all made of strength and struggle. Return to your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Set boundaries so that you feel safe. Set an intention to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Breathe in, breathe out. Allow yourself to be vulnerable with others and with God, knowing that you belong just as you are. Breathe in. Nurture your sense of belonging to this world and to all of humanity, to God and to yourself with compassion and mercy. Come into this moment just as you are. Breathe in, breathe out. You belong just as you are. <laughs>